Well, Sister Deborah, it's wonderful to have you with us. And we started off this series with some questions about how do we form our spiritual lives? And in particularly last week, we looked at having a rule of life and, and what that might look like for some of us who are um, not vowed to a particular order, but, but how we might, might use that. But, but you are a sister of mercy. And um, so I would, I would love to hear for you, um, first of all, your journey into um, vowing um, your, your life to a particular order. And, and then what, what, how is that process of being a part of a community that everyone is vowed to a particular role of life? What has that been like for you in your own um, development of your, of your spiritual journey? Okay. Well, thank you again for uh, the invitation. Uh, I really am delighted to, to join with you and just share, as you say, just share a little bit of my story and uh, what, I, what I am learning <laughs> in my own uh, desire to grow spiritually and uh, my relationship to God. So uh, just a little background on, on hearing the call, you might say, uh, to, uh, to religious life uh, in, the, in the Roman Catholic tradition. I, was, uh, I grew up here in Little Rock. Uh, and uh, went to, was a good, good Catholic school student, went to Our Lady of the Holy Souls and then uh, Mount St. Mary Academy. And uh, I think, you know, as a child, I was, uh, you know, I learned the catechism. I was quite good at memorizing everything. And, uh, and yet, you know, I, I, knew the, I knew all the answers, <laughs> even won a trophy, you know, because I was so good at memorizing the answers. But I think even as a child, uh, I had a sense of God as friend. Uh, you might say as a child, you know, many of us grew up with kind of imaginary friends, but somehow I connected that with God. And um, so I think as, as a child growing up, even though I, I had these kind of formulaic answers, uh, there was something kind of personal about it from the very beginning in the sense of believing God is everywhere and then just knowing I could talk to God. So you might say that was my earliest experience uh, in prayer, even though I didn't even know to name it that. But uh, the journey you might say to discovering a, a call to religious life happened pretty much when I was in high school. I, I had you know sisters, this was in the 60s and the 70s and there were still Quite a few sisters that uh, in the schools at those in those days, and and so the sisters at uh, Holy Souls were the, uh, the Benedictine uh, a branch of a monastic uh, form of religious life. The Sisters of Mercy were, which I learned later, uh, apostolic, and so while both take vows of poverty. Uh, chastity, obedience. Uh, the Sisters of Mercy uh, take a fourth vow of service. So the apostolic nature of, of religious life as the Sisters of Mercy live it is very much, we've got the communal aspect and yet it's the service. It's, it's the mission and ministry that we do uh, 
you might say, the corporal spiritual works of mercy, which, you know, kind of compel us um, uh, in terms of, you know, the outward, the outward active, the active life. Uh, in the monastic life, certainly uh, they were a teaching order, but they would go back to their convent and it was more the monastic uh, style of, you know, uh, herorium and stability and, you know, place. And uh, for Sisters of Mercy, we could be just about sent anywhere. And in terms of the ministries we do, although historically we were hugely in the education and uh, healthcare. Uh, now we pretty much uh, see almost anything <laughs> is possible to be a work of mercy. So the sisters do all kinds of ministries, uh, social work and law and, you know, uh, spiritual direction, retreat ministry, you know, it, it's just all over the board. But for my personal story, I, I grew up with, you know, pretty much stereotypes like, <laughs> you know, that, that are out there for nuns. And I wasn't particularly attracted. <laughs> I didn't feel it frankly called uh, to be uh, a nun. So uh, what happened was quite interesting during high school, uh, the sisters, I, I guess it was their spirit or, or just maybe I was more in the position of in my own growing up, I was more open and I, I sensed not only uh, their spirit, I, I sensed their leadership and uh, their, um, their availability and uh, their service. They were great at getting us as young women to embrace our call to serve uh, in whatever capacity and to, and to be leaders in whatever way, uh, you know, God had gifted us to be leaders. So so that, those were very, very um, in, impactful messages, and and they lived it. And yet, I saw a lot of joy in their lives, and uh, and they were strong. They were strong women. So I I guess uh, it was there that I had this, you know, moment of thinking, oh my gosh, I could be I could be that. I could be like that. Uh, it was the first time I think I dropped the stereotypes that I carried around that were obstacles for me to even consider a call. So um, I, I was thinking about it. I wouldn't tell a soul that was not what I did in high school <laughs> because I was a pretty normal high school girl uh, in terms of activities and sports and clubs and student council and you know dating and all that. And uh, so uh, one of the sisters that uh, had quite, quite a, an impact, I, I remember it was a, a junior year theology class and she just looked at us one of the first days and, and she says, you know, do you wanna know Jesus Christ? Do you wanna know him? And I, that question, I can remember that day as if it's today because it reverberated so deeply and it was almost threatening. <laughs> and I, as a teenager, I kind of went, what? What is, you know, I've been in Cal school 12 years. Why is she asking me if I wanted I have to say, so the probably the first question for me was not whether I would enter a religious community, become a sister. It, it was really, um, the primary question was this relationship with Jesus Christ. And, 
And so then after that, um, you know, I was doing all the things you do to get ready to go to college and uh, plan for that and applications. And it was my June, my senior year, January. I remember that day as well. And this one sister that, you know, I worked with her because she was like student council sponsor or something. And I was the uh, student body president. So we worked together and I, I go to her classroom after school on a Friday and I say, uh, help me pick this paint color. Mount St. Mary's was an old building at that time. And we were going to, student council was going to paint the faculty room in the old building as a Christmas present. So I'm going to ask her for the paint color. And uh, we get that decided. And she says, have you ever thought about being a sister of mercy? And it was like, oh, no, <laughs> because I had thought about it and I just didn't trust it. And then when she kind of named it and she was such a person that I had great respect for, uh, I couldn't deny that that may be a possibility. So I had to listen deeply uh, to that. Um, and then I decided to go on uh, to the University of Dallas the first year. The question would never leave me. It was like a song in my head that just wouldn't go away. And uh, so I finally, uh, decided that I needed to go find out. And uh, so that was the decision that was my, you know, my parents um, struggled a bit with it. Uh, they had five daughters and uh, they, they certainly appreciated uh, religious life as good Catholics, but they weren't quite sure they <laughs> were ready to lose one of their daughters, you know, to the sisterhood, so to speak. But then, uh, it, it, you know, over time, it, it worked out. So, um, so that's, that's the story. Um, one other little thing, because it's, it's been an important, my whole spiritual path, um, it's very, it's very concrete. I, the sisters here at St. Mary's, when I left, I, it wasn't even certain, you know, that I was going to continue. I was a candidate, they call it, for the first two years before I took the next step uh, as a novice and then took the first vows. And I mean, it's quite a process. You have quite a bit of time to discern this call. But anyway, uh, when I went off to uh, to enter the community as a candidate, they gave me this gift. They gave me a Bible. And uh, it wasn't until I really started using the Bible that I, I found that it had two flaws in it. <laughs> and the first flaw uh, that I discovered was literally from the Book of Lamentations. Um, I'm sure you may be familiar with this passage, but the, the book was you know, it's folded over and uh, and it's folded over right there uh, in the book of Lamentations. And when you look at the crease, literally, it says uh, the favors of the Lord are not exhausted. His mercies are not spent. They are renewed each morning. Uh, so great is his faithfulness. Um, I think that's been <laughs> the story. <laughs> I think this Bible was made for me. And uh, so that's one important aspect of this journey is, you know, God's mercy and I, you know, imperfect, imperfect discipleship. That's what I call it. Uh, and that it, there's always the opportunity to begin again and again. Uh, so that 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 has guided that has held my life. 
And then the second thing I discovered was, you know, kind of amazing, but it was in the book of Psalms and it's Psalm 34. And it, it's another misprint because as I discovered it, uh, it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit, God saves. Well, guess what my version says? It says, those who are rushed in spirit, God saves. <laughs> so that's been my challenge too. It's, 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 and so now to talk about prayer and what I'm learning and to be called now and have the privilege of serving the Arkansas House of Prayer, which is dedicated to, it's, you know, the interfaith ministry dedicated to contemplative prayer uh, meditation, uh, silence. Um, I, I just said, you know, God has been leading me, uh, down this path. And, uh, so it, it's, it's a great gift for me to have learned, uh, primarily through the practice of centering prayer, uh, that it's God who initiates prayer within us and that it's, our response, so prayer is the is about relationship, obviously, but it's our response. Uh, and and um, at this stage in my life, uh, the listening part of it, uh, and and the, the silence and the kind of clearing away the thoughts that are always commentary. You know, my Russian spirit commentary that's always busy about many things. Um, so, so I, I, I can't say enough about this great privilege that I have to serve in this ministry at this time is as it reinforces my own um, desire to grow uh, in this, this practice of silent prayer. Uh, the communal aspect of being a part of the sister, you know, as Christians, community is, you know, you can't really separate Christianity and community. Uh, so, um, Community is not always easy, and certainly uh, religious life with a community of, of sisters. Uh, why you think it could be, you know, ideal, and that we're all, you know, committed to the same thing, which we are. Uh, you know, we've all got the human condition, and we bring that to community. And um, there's great need for mercy among us in terms of how we relate to one another. Uh, our compassion for one another, our compassion and forgiveness of each other, because it's true while we're all called and we live what we call the charism of the sisters of mercy, a gift given for the church for a particular reason uh, through a particular woman who founded the sisters in 1831 in Ireland. Um, you know, we, we, we try to be faithful to that gift. And yet like, human beings, we fail, but the community is a source of strength and support. And, uh, you know, it's the place where I find the inspiration uh, because these, these women that uh, are vowed with me or I'm vowed with them, you know, our vows are to God. Uh, our commitment though is to live that vow in community with each other. And sometimes that community can be two people. It can be, I've lived with 16. I've lived, you know, with 20. 
um, and of all ages and backgrounds and cultures. And <laughs> so that you can imagine that's, that's challenging. Uh, but through the prayer and the service and the desire to respond to the needs of God's people, you know, that, that kind of trumps everything and, uh, and keeps us uh, faithful. Uh, and keeps us, you know, desiring to respond to new needs in this day and time. So there's a certain, there's a certain dynamic within our community as religious women to say, yep, schools, hospitals, great need, lots of institutions, but guess what? There's a new call right now that's transforming religious life for women in our church. And we got to pay attention to that. Long, that was a long introduction, but I'll stop. Well, that, that was really wonderful. And I, I was struck as, as you were talking about um, the apostolic ministry of your particular order, but then your, your movement into yes. contemplative prayer and your, your role as executive director of the Arkansas House of Prayer so I'd love for you to talk about that sort of blending, because I think it reflects the reality yes. for many of us who are not in, um, in a religious order of the active life and the contemplative life yes. and, and how those work together. And then maybe along with that, if you could speak to what resources or, or how, how you teach people to enter into that contemplative um, centering prayer, or, or you know, there are lots of different ways to to enter into um, silence. So, so what are the ways that you found most helpful, but for yourself, and then also that have resonated with those that you've offered teaching to? Yes. Um, well, just just a little thing that that has become so real for me. Um, the sister who founded our community, her story is quite interesting, but um, she grew up in Ireland, but she parents died when she was young. Her guardians were actually Quaker. And um, her spirituality was quite influenced by them. So she, she had a great love of silence, even though she was, I mean, her story is she inherited I guess in this day and time, it'd be $5 million. I don't know. But she took that money and she built a shelter right in the heart of the most affluent street in, Bag in Dublin. And she did it to house poor women and to provide education so they could be empowered to have a, be self-sustaining, that kind of thing. So that's her story. But the, but the beauty of it that I've come embracing now at this stage and she was older when she did it. She was like 56, I think, when she started this order. And she really wasn't eager to start a religious order because in those days in Ireland, it meant cloister. It meant, you know, it meant she couldn't be on the street. So that's why she put that fourth vow in their service to keep our sisters on the street, you might say. They were called the walking nuns. And uh, that was kind of <laughs> scandalous. Uh, so, because <laughs> they were on the streets and they were women, uh, but they, but anyway, we got through that somehow. Uh, but the point of that is just to say this, she, she called her sisters to this, you know, rhythm. She called it a rhythm of contemplation and action. 
so that one would lead to the other and back again. So, um, you know, certainly when you think of the scripture and you think of that famous story, Martha and Mary, kind of rediscovering, you know, the Martha and the Mary. And usually, I guess the way I grew up, oh my gosh, the the Marys were the, the real contemplative nuns and we were like the Marthas. We were so busy, you know, as apostolic sisters. But but the deeper reading of that is, you know, Martha and Mary, it's the root word. It's the, the root is the same for each name. So it's really both of it's really both. You can read it on a level where we've got the Martha, we've got the Mary. And when Jesus says, you know, to uh, Mary, to Martha, you know, you know, Mary has chosen the better part. Well, this isn't original with me. Thomas Keating enlightened me to this. He said, yes. And what would be the best part? Putting them together. Good, better, best. So the best would be, how do you integrate this Martha and Mary that are both parts of our our uh, our capacity to, you know, to follow Jesus and to, and to be prayerful women. Uh, so, um, so that, that's been really helpful. Um, and that's what I find. It's like, I can enter that house of prayer and, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I've got every kind of thing going on upstairs, so to speak, you know, the commentary is just going, going, going. And yet the minute I can step into the centering practice and then the space of the house of prayer, and that's true. Not everybody goes out there every day. I don't. But it is a resource that that once you step in, it's it's like you're just surrounded by this beautiful, sacred energy of silence. It can just kind of hold you and help anchor you. And so then the thoughts can rise and you can practice that letting go. So that actually it's it's the idea of, literally creating space in your heart and mind for God, creating the space and uh, for God to, and, you know, God is the one who initiates, inspires, indwells, and, and we just need to give God the room, you know, but sometimes our minds are so busy and in this incredibly complex technological age where we have so many devices kind of intruding on us all day long. We've got to we've got to learn to unplug. We've got to learn to unplug so that we can literally recharge. And uh, so that's that's kind of what I what I find. And you know, it's the challenge is within our own space, in our own homes, you know, or, or wherever we can go. And you know, that's the other beautiful part about the house of prayer. It's surrounded by nature. So if nature is a place for you to experience the presence of God and the space necessary to listen to God, you know, that, that's a beautiful resource as well there. So, um, you know, I, I've said, I've been rambling. So if I miss part of your question, but the centering prayer, and I'll, I want to say this with all, again, <laughs> my life is, it's so interesting. In 2003, I, I decided I was going to really delve into centering prayer. I'd been practicing about six years, and I said, I've got to really go deeper into this. So uh, there was a retreat being offered at a little Episcopalian 
retreat center in Alta, Wyoming, where Father Keating was going to be there for what they called a, a, I think it was a 21-day intensive workshop. So I just said, I'm going. So, um, so I became dear friends with uh, the rector there. Her name's Reverend Sandy Casey Martis. And she, and of course, Father Keating was there for the whole time. He taught us specifically for the first week. And um, that, that's where it really became the practice that I knew I needed. So um, it's simple enough, and yet it's profound in terms of how it's it's bringing back to Christianity, you might say this lost dimension uh, of our contemplative spirituality uh, that kind of in some ways got relegated you know, to the true contemplatives, you might say. Uh, it was kind of stuck in the monasteries, you might say. And I know Father Keating and some of his contemporaries back in the 70s just said, we've got, we've got to make this available to everyone because it's part of our, our Christian tradition. So, um, so the fact that it's simple, you know, the idea of, of, of sit, the biggest challenge, she says, is sitting down uh, and giving yourself that 20 minutes twice a day to rest and not to choose a sacred word that's sacred because of your intention, not by whatever word it is. It's just by you know, this is a prayer not about trying to focus, 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 attention, attention, attention. It's about intention. So your thoughts will come. You'll have all kinds of things that rise. But the renewal of your intention to be present to the presence of God in the prayer is all the spirit needs. And, uh, you know, I'm learning not to judge, <laughs> not to judge what happens in those 20 minutes twice a day? They can be, they can be just like that. But the, but the, but the renewal is the, about the intention. And as Father Keating would say, you never judge the quality of the prayer about what happens or doesn't happen in the prayers. It's not about experiences, even though sometimes you have a beautiful experience of profound peace and quiet. Um, but if that happens, that's that's lovely and if it doesn't happen god's working and uh the fruit of that prayer he says in your daily life and sometimes you don't even know it i always say um when jesus said you know when you pray you know go to your inner room and pray to your heavenly father in secret uh and I often think, yeah, and the rewards are in secret, too. You don't even know they're happening. <laughs> the fruit, I say rewards, it's really the fruit. It's not the rewards, it's the fruit. And uh, the fruit of that often is more evident to other people than it is even to yourself. Uh, I can remember somebody saying, because I, I was the head of an all-girls school for like 20 years, you know, and I, I, uh, I say I used to, I can put names on these gray hairs, but, but I can remember, you know, with the practice of that prayer, people could say, no, you really seem patient. <laughs> you seem more patient with these young women. And practicing. <laughs> so 
I'll stop again. Well, that's that's really helpful, and um, and you kind of just described some of the basic steps of, of at least how Keating instructs in in the practice of centering prayer. And I wonder for those who might be interested and in, um, who are joining us today and might want to begin a practice of centering prayer. I know that Father Keating has has written a number of books, and and there are others, Martin Laird and things who have, have written on. Um, Centering prayer and contemplative prayer. Are there particular resources that you point people toward for learning this practice? Um, well, actually, I have <laughs> I have a little stack right here. Uh, but you've mentioned two of them already. Uh, Father Keating, of course. You know, the classic one is this one. Many can't quite, can't quite read the um, so so open mind, open heart. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the classic one. Uh, I've, I've been just recently, and again, I guess for me, because of the experience with the house of prayer, uh, you know, centering prayer and deepening silence are, are kind of going hand in hand. Uh, this woman, she's amazing. She's an Anglican solitary she lives in Oxford, England. Her name's Maggie Ross. And this is called Silence, a user's guide. But it, it's just, I, I can only read like three sentences at a time. I mean, it's really, it's just, it's, it's so rich. So uh, her name's Maggie Ross. And I, I've just kind of discovered her. And, but I'm finding it just so, so rich and so powerful. Uh, I do have I have read uh, Martin Laird, Into the Silent Land. I think he's another wonderful resource. Um, I'm, I'm starting to read more from Howard Thurman uh, and uh, just learning a little bit more about him and what he, uh, how he described kind of centering down, you know, uh, meditations of the heart, he calls this book is again another one that's it's challenging, but I, I I think you know all I can say is it's it keeps inviting me. It keeps inviting me deeper. It's called Silence: The Mystery of Wholeness. It's by a gentleman called Robert Sardello. So all of these uh, books are are kind of current resources that I, for like, in terms of Father Keating, I, I go back to. Um, but others, uh, you know, once you're kind of on a path, it's like all kinds of things just kind of come to you, come as you, as you go down that path. It's like one thing leads to another. Um, but certainly, you know, contemplative outreach is a, a wonderful website that, um, Father Keating's organization or organism, he calls it, uh, that, uh, again, is just rich with resources and uh, all about centering prayer and the practice. So uh, it's, I think the, uh, yeah, it's just www.contemplativeoutreach.org. Um, and that's, that's kind of an immediate resource. Richard Rohr is wonderful in terms of uh, the Center for Contemplation and Action. And, um, you know, there's also, there's so many 
things being writ written about mindfulness as a practice. And it doesn't necessarily imply relationship to God, uh, but some of the practices certainly help quiet the mind. And uh, I think in, a, you know, in this day and time, with the great anxiety that is out there, the uncertainty, the tremendous polarization in our country, in this world, um, you know, we need, we need that, we need that practice to just help us, you know, listen deeply uh, to the spirit within and, and as the spirit comes through community. So, um, you know, that's the other thing that I think Father Keating would say is any practice like centering prayer, it's good to have what he called a support group. Uh, that you could meet with periodically of others who are on that path. So you can just share your struggles and share your learnings and, and just have that wisdom, that communal wisdom be supportive. Uh, because again, as we started with, you know, community is such a part of who we are as Christians and we need each other. Um, and God works through, through each one of us and through all of us. Thank, thank you for those those resources. That that's really helpful. And um, I'm going to invite questions now from both people who are here in the room and those on Zoom. Um, if you're on Zoom, if you can use the um, hand raise function, I'll let Kate because I think I don't know if I can see this as well because I'm I'm not the host now, but um, facilitate some of those. Um, but then maybe while people are formulating their question. You just, I, I just want to play off your comment about mindfulness and thinking about Thich Nhat Hanh, who just recently um, died. And I was wondering, you're, you know, you said that to your order, they were originally called the walking nuns, that I, Thich Nhat Hanh was someone who wrote a lot on, on walking as a kind of mindfulness <laughs> yeah. practice. Yeah. So I was wondering if that, if walking has, has continued in any way to be a part of your order's practice um, or, or, or for you personally, is that is that at all a, a, a way into some of this, not just sitting still, but also the mindful yeah. walking? Yes. No, I, I, I think, you know, with his, with his recent passing, um, I, I was I was struck by that myself, is that, um, you know, probably in the 1830s, the Sisters of Mercy, when they walked, they weren't thinking about you know, walking mindfully, they were thinking about how do I get to these people who need us? But, but, you know, that's such a, that's such a beautiful connection, Reagan. I, I think, I think that's something I'll be sharing with my community, <laughs> just to remind us, uh, you know, that that's one way to stay centered in, in all of our activism, you know, it's all of our efforts to, to, to be out there and do good, so to speak, respond to needs, but it's got to come from the right place. And I think that's, that's a, that's a tremendous uh, gift that he brought. So, yeah, I, so, I would uh, say, you know, just to be clear, you know, there's I'm breaking up again. We, we can hear you now. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the message. Mine is unstable. I can stop my video. That might help. Okay. Um, 
Are you there? We we can. Yes, yes. Okay. I was just I was just wanting to remind though, and I, I certainly want to be clear about this. I've talked a lot about prayer without words, but you know, prayer with words is so important. You know, that's we all those forms of prayer, petition and intercession and thanksgiving and praise and you know communal worship. So all forms of prayer are good, you know, no doubt about that. And uh, I guess the other thing is, you know, that old, that adage, you know, prayer changes things. Well, certainly, and prayer changes us. And that's that's kind of where the heart of it is. Uh, we're changed by our prayer. And it's God who initiates that prayer. We always kind of get into, you know, we're, we're the ones on the road seeking God, and yet God's profoundly seeking us. Yes, we can give God the space, the space. Well, that, that's a helpful word and, and a good one. And I invite anyone, um, anyone here with us in the room um, or online, have a question for Sister Deborah. Okay. I'm curious about praying devotionally um, and how that informs Sister Deborah's development or maybe the people she's worked with. And, you know, she might offer, that's something I think about. Okay, did, did you hear that, pray, praying the rosary and how that's formed you and, and those that you work yes. with, Foster? Uh, yes, thank you for that question. Um, I, I would say, honestly, uh, it wasn't until probably, I mean, I, I certainly, I've, I've been introduced to the rosary all my life. It didn't become, you might say, uh, a, one of my regular practices until probably more recently. And it's because I have a deeper appreciation for, you know, this idea of praying by hand. And, uh, you know, as human beings, we need concrete things. And, you know, good Anglicans and good Catholics, we, you know, we have the incense, the bells, the water, we do all the we, we do all the tangible things to help us experience God's presence and action in our lives and, and understand that in sacramental ways. So, so the rosary is, and, and I, uh, I think what I've learned is the words become a rhythm that actually can take us to that deeper place of contemplation. Um, I've even made the connection more recently that Father Keating used to say, you know, 20 minutes is the time you need to spend because, I mean, even physiologically, if you take an aspirin, it takes 20 minutes to get it through your system. So he would say 20 minutes, you know, and, and the rosary takes about 20 minutes if you're just praying the words. And of course, uh, we always were taught that you you meditate on the mysteries, you know, and the mysteries were all scriptural. I mean, they're all uh, events in the life of Christ or uh, in Mary's life. And we were always taught to meditate on the mysteries as we said the words or concentrate on the words of, of the prayers, the Hail Mary, our Father, glory be. But uh, what strikes me now is that Meditation, it one in one way, meditation was a really uh, uh, intense mental exercise, 
And I'm going to use another spirituality to talk about that, Ignatian spirituality. You know, you you put yourself in the scene of the scripture and you're there with Jesus or his disciples and you're, you're identifying, you know, with who's ever speaking and you're finding yourself in it. And it's very imaginative and very, very, uh, you know, mind oriented. You know, you might say you're using your mental capacities. Well, that's one way, but I think, for me, praying by hand now the rosary, I allow the repetition, the repetition, the repetition to just take me to that place where at some point I can just rest. The words are going by just like a commentary goes by. I'm not necessarily thinking about the words. I'm allowing it to take me to a deeper place of rest. So, so that can be one form of praying uh, a prayer by hand like the rosary i know uh, for example in islam when they do the beads they're all the beautiful names of allah and it's just repeat 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 the, all the names of allah and again it's that rhythm and that intentionality about prayer uh, that can take you there uh, whether you kind of know it or not it's another level of consciousness you might say uh, that that a rosary can help with you know, in the Catholic tradition, we we usually on a vigil for, and I just went to one just last night, but uh, or Friday night. But you know, we have a rosary as part of our vigil before the funeral uh, service the next day. And I think, you know, over time, you know, that was my experience of the rosary. It was always around the time of, you know, praying for those who just died. But I realize now it's that communal dimension of praying the rosary and it's the literally holding on to something at that time that, you know, these are profound moments of grief and loss. And again, uh, our human nature, you know, being in a community, saying that communal prayer in a repetitive way brings support and energy uh, and love and the beads, holding the beads just kind of gives you something to hold on to at a time when certainly there's a lot of grief in the room. So I'm starting to understand and actually rediscover the rosary in a a way that perhaps the wisdom was there when I was younger, but I didn't always get it. You know, I just didn't, I wasn't ripe for it, you might say. Thank you, Sister Deborah. Um, Any other questions? Anyone online? Well, I've got plenty, so if... (laughs) (laughs) So um, I I wondered for for those who have not experienced the the House of Prayer or who have not been a part of it in in a while, if you wouldn't mind, um, because I'd... I imagine that many people at Christchurch just haven't made it out um, to the house of prayer. And um, so I'd love for you to talk about both what the Arkansas house of prayer is and, and the, the interfaith aspect of that and how silence kind of creates a space for that. Um, But then also on the practical level of how, how does it work? How do, how do people get access to this, to the space? And so if you could talk about that, we great. Yes. Well, you know, the vision for the House of Prayer 
that goes back to the Reverend Susan Smith uh, back in the, I think she says it was the late 90s when she was on an airplane. She picked up a magazine and saw this prayer space. It's on the campus of, 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 uh, of St. John's in Collegeville. And it was just a small space that Anglican priest and a Catholic priest collaborated on to get to get on that campus, and it was just for silence. So that that just grabbed her. The spirit grabbed her, and and she says, "We need one of these." So you know, by 2007, she had she had opened the House of Prayer, and uh, it is a resource and gift to the whole community of Central Arkansas, even statewide. People even from out of state have come. But uh, so it's, 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 that, it's that mystery of if you go into the house of prayer, there's nothing explicitly, no religious symbols. There's a beautiful skylight. And then there's a center. Uh, in the center, there's uh, literally an open space with, so it's heaven and earth. It unites heaven and earth. It, it's, it surrounds you with this energy of silence because anybody who's ever been in, They've only been silent, you know. Uh, there's no, there's no uh, rituals that take place there. Uh, there's no talking inside, and um, and I think uh, Susan's wisdom was, you know, to to do interfaith. Uh, the silence is the place where we can all connect to the divine, uh, regardless of your your faith tradition. Uh, so that's that is the the unifying you might say uh, aspect of entering into the silence together you know you can be in the room and you know there can be a buddhist and a muslim and a jewish person and you know a christian and you know you're all sharing the silence and sharing your desire to be in the presence of the divine and it's powerful hindu you know, so it's, uh, and it welcomes all people. So again, I think it's kind of a, a witness to the fact we all need uh, spaces like this in our lives. And it's not like the only place you can experience that is the house of prayer. I think the challenge is how do we, how do we let the house of prayer help cultivate that taste of silence, that desire for deepening silence uh, and presence uh, connection with the divine whether it's sitting in the house of prayer or there's a walking path and there's a labyrinth so that's all available some people enter the silence by walking and then feel drawn to go sit other people sit and then feel drawn to the walking so it's a beautiful compliment uh the, the natural setting and then you know being able to sit in this safe and sacred space uh this beautiful um, or to use the labyrinth as another kind of tool of, of spiritual growth. So practically, um, if you're a first-time visitor and just want to see, experience it, Monday through Thursday, uh, St. Margaret's is like the anchoring community for us, and um, you just go to the church office, and they will issue a little temporary fob, and uh, you can have access that way from nine to three, Monday through Thursday. Friday, the office is closed. Saturdays and Sundays, we generally have volunteers there. 
um, from like uh, nine to, to four. Uh, with COVID right now, uh, we haven't asked any of our volunteers to be there. So, so that's a limitation right now. But the other, you know, uh, opportunity is really through our website, ArkansasHouseOfPrayer.org. You can you can uh, apply for a, a permanent key fob, and it would just give you twenty four seven access. So we have about six hundred over six hundred key fobs that have been issued right now, and um, all kinds of people, all backgrounds. We don't, you know, and, and the application is very simple. It's very simple. Uh, but we do want to make sure it's a safe space for anyone who enters. So that's why we ask you to provide a little bit of information. And uh, and then certainly we would issue the FOB and, uh, and then you have access whenever you have the time and space uh, to be there. So it's true. It's uh, as we as we kid, it's way out west, you know. But <laughs> but uh, in terms of about twenty minutes or twenty five minutes, depending on where you live. In, in like I live in Midtown, um, but I don't know that there's any place that you can go in twenty to twenty five minutes that can give you that total sense of retreat space. Uh, so quickly as uh, the space at the House of Prayer and its surroundings. So uh, it is in a beautiful setting. And, uh, and it, so, so I would just encourage you, you know, um, we are planning some uh, programs <clears throat> in the spring. Right now we, we are, and again, these things are on our website, but <clears throat> Like March 13th, it'll be a Sunday afternoon. I'm partnering with uh, another wonderful teacher, Catherine Cruz, who's practiced Centering Prayer a long time. She's on the board of the House of Prayer. So we're going to do a little hour and a half introduction to Centering Prayer. And then uh, in the spring, we have uh, two uh, labyrinth uh, trained facilitators, labyrinth facilitators, who will lead a, a labyrinth kind of workshop and then, uh, uh, you know, allow people to enjoy the labyrinth. We're looking at the World Labyrinth Day, which would be May 7th. And then what we have every the, every month, uh, the second Tuesday of every month is a little, it's an hour, only an hour. We have a teacher, we have some shared silence, and then we have a little time to debrief. And it's called Sacred Silence. 7.30 to 8.30, Tuesday mornings. And again, you can access through our website. Um, and uh, our, our Reagan, if, if, if anybody's interested, you can send me their email addresses. I can get you, I can have uh, the Reverend Stephanie Fox is my associate and she, she does a lot of the technical pieces. So she can send the information. But um, Howison joins us regularly, and I don't know if she would feel comfortable speaking to that, but uh, we have a group of, oh gosh, anywhere from 15 to 20 who join us pretty regularly on that sacred silence Tuesday. So did I answer what you asked? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that's, that's really um, helpful. And I, and I do hope that everyone will, will go um, 
if you haven't already, go and, and look at the programs that the Arkansas House of Prayer has to offer and, and also the, the space. It's both inside and out really a beautiful place and a wonderful opportunity for silence. Um, as Sister Deborah said, just very, very close by. So hope that everyone will, will take advantage of that. We um, are nearing our time for moving on to um, our next service here at Christ Church. But um, I, I thank you so much, Sister Deborah, for taking the time to, to be with us um, and to, to talk with us about your, your journey and share some of your insights into prayer and uh, really appreciate this, uh, this opportunity to, to speak with you. Thank you. Oh, now the gift uh, you have given to me and I thank each of you. And uh, certainly I always kind of smile when I say this, but I, I'd love to see you at the house of prayer. I won't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, seriously, if you're inside, I won't. If we're outside, you know, I'll be happy to, to greet you there. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I, I, I I, I was not aware of the sacred silence time, so that's a, that's a wonderful opportunity for, for all of us to, um, to take part in and, and appreciate that. Well, um, thank you again, Sister Deborah. Um, blessings on all of your good work, and um, how about, I don't I don't know how we do applause or anything. No, no, <laughs> These, no thank you. Just uh, thank the, you. The, the, yes. No, well, um, and prayers prayers for each of you. Uh, certainly in my prayer and uh, thank you for your interest and again Reagan thank you for the invitation uh, it's a gift to be invited so well you, you you're most most welcome so um, take care everyone thank you for for joining us for this conversation and um, hope to see you all next week bye, -bye. thanks Deborah Thank you.